0: If you think about it as people telling you no, that's the ego. It's not about you. They want a green paint on the wall and you only have purple. But guess what? Somebody wants a purple house.
1: Somebody want that purple house, though. Somebody (laughs) wants a purple house. Before
2: they get in your
1: So good people? Welcome into Montgomery & Company. Listen, I'm talking to a thespian today, all right? That's what Juju called him, and I loved it because it's so true. In the purest sense of the form, Chris Davis, who is the lead in the new big George Foreman movie that's out in theaters April 28th, you can just see his passion you can just see his talent you can just see it all oozing and I'm so excited I got to talk to him he covers the story of the Olympic gold medalist to world heavyweight champion boxer George Foreman I mean his story is incredible but every time someone's telling someone else's story you also get a little bit of their story and that's exactly what happens with Chris check it out Chris, so you guys know, is the lead in the new big George Foreman movie that is out in theaters April 28th. Chris, thank you for joining us here on MoCo.
0: Yeah, thanks for asking me to be here.
1: No problem. So can you just talk about it like George Foreman is an iconic character. We already know him. We already understand who he is and his story. Can you talk about preparing for a role like that?
0: Um, It's kind of hard to describe. I mean, it would quite literally take up the entirety of this interview. (laughs)
1: So what things did you do to prepare for that role?
0: I think about this question every time I'm asked, because there's a, I mean, there's so much that went into it and it's trying to simplify it. You know, you miss so many key elements of what went into it and how, um, intricate and in depth the process of preparation was the best thing that I could say that, you know, I did was, I mean, I got a long theater background, so coming from the theater space, you know, we have a way of mapping out stories, mapping out arcs and trajectories and things like this and relationships. So the initial thing that I did that I could do was to approach the script this way. What's the story that we're telling first and foremost, to be clear on that. And then once I understood that, and it took uh, some time, you know, because uh, we had a couple setbacks. So I had a couple of months to do that. And then I got into the more specific work of, okay, this is a real individual. So what are the things that are indicative of Mr. Foreman to not just his fans, but also people who know him and love him and trying to find what those nuances are, you know, and uh, that took time. I mean, I think the hardest part of that was probably learning who he was in the ring, Hmm. you know, because that would be the quickest thing to identify as being either authentic or false. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot went into it. I mean, I, and like I said before, I'm, I'm trying to simplify it, but there's no, there's no way to do it because he is such an icon and it is such a big story to try to tell.
1: No, I mean, that's a great way to break it down, just about all the many layers of a person. Like, for instance, you know, I'm a professional athlete for 11 years, so mm-hmm. if somebody, to your point, got my essence of who I am on the court wrong, they wouldn't have necessarily understood why I did what I did in 2020 and 2021 because all of those things are who I am. I love that. And so when you got, I know you said you were in theater for a long time, you have a theater background, but what is it like getting that lead role? Because you know, being in the entertainment industry, we have a lot of people on, you know, we have showrunners, we have actors, we just had the lead actor for Sweetwater on and so what is it like when you get that yes? Because we know in sports, and we know in entertainment, there's a lot of no's.
0: For me, I've had the privilege in my theater career to have the lead role where the stakes were pretty high being on broadway you know you have a lead role on broadway in a straight play so you know you don't have the song and the dance and the spectacle to um present to the audience that can kind of like take the sometimes the energy and the focus off of you you kind of have to carry it you have to be in control of that energy And, um, I've had this privilege many times, you know, um, in my, in my career. So when this job came about, like I said before, I just approached it this, the same way, you know, I understand, I understood initially what the responsibility of being number one is on the call sheet or being the lead of a play, right. I understood that responsibility coming into it. It's not easy being the lead on a stage in New York city, off Broadway. Or on Broadway. It's a lot of pressure, you know, um, and the ways in which you have to focus and stay locked into your work and continue to let it grow and develop around you, you know, it's something that I'm grateful for having the experience in. Uh, so when it came time to do Big George Foreman, you know, like I said before, I only know how to do it one way.
1: Let's go. And
0: that's the way that I did it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I wasn't scared, I wasn't nervous. You know, I just understood that work had to be done. So what are we gonna do? We are gonna get to work. Mm. All that external stuff, you know, oh, it's it's, so, it's gonna be a big Sony production or, you know, it's the lead of a major studio film. It didn't matter to me because what mattered to me was whether or not I was going to do this work right. And, you know, you're a professional athlete and you understand what it means to get into the gym, what it means to stay a little bit longer, you know, work a little bit harder, you know. Okay, I don't been in practice all day, but you know what? I'm gonna go into the gym and I'm gonna work some more of it out. Facts. Yeah. Until you, until you wring that rag dry the best you can. So that's essentially the way that I I treated it. You know, I, I was like, okay, you know, the nerves, the nerves did come, but not, not because I was afraid, but because I think I was excited because I think that, you know, before you go out for a game, before I step out on stage, there's that anticipation that you feel, you know, that readiness that you feel. And uh, that's what it was for me.
1: Dang, that's so lit. Because even how hearing you talk about that, being the first on the call sheet, it sounds very similar to, like, I've been the captain on my basketball team a lot of times. And you talked about that staying extra, doing that extra work. Honestly, putting your pride to the side. You would think not being at the top of the food chain would be that. But when you talk about being number one on the call sheet, a lot of people might not know what that means. So what type of things come along with being, because you've been number one now on Broadway, which we're going to get into that a little bit, but now on a a feature film, like you said, Sony. So what, like, because for Captain, I can think of a list of things, but I don't necessarily know what it's like being number one on the call sheet.
0: Well, being number one on the call sheet, you know, what that comes with, and and I, I think a lot of people misinterpret because they're looking at the external things what you can get out of it and not necessarily the responsibility of it and what i mean by the responsibility of it is that like your energy sets the tone every single day everybody's relying on you to show up to be prepared to know your lines to know what's happening in the scenes everybody's relying on you to be kind more patient than everyone else Everyone needs you to be this, right? You, yeah, sure, you're gonna have your feelings. You're gonna be, you're gonna get upset in some moments and there's gonna be some moments where you wish that you had gotten your way, but you have to be gracious enough to allow everyone, right? For me, it was like the other actors had to feel completely in control of the scenes that they had with me. It wasn't about me being number one on the call sheet. It wasn't about me playing George Foreman. What was more important to me was if the other actors that I was acting with felt supported and elevated because the story can't just happen with me. The story happens through all the relationships that I'm experiencing. And it happens even with the extras. We can't have background. We can't have the world without the extras. So every single person working on this job has to feel as though their experience is elevated and I have to be able to step back and allow them to do magnificent work as well. It can't be all about me, right? So if I show up and I'm grumpy and I'm having temper tantrums and I am want my way, things like this, things that people expect number ones on a call sheet to be like, that changes the tone of the work environment and you're responsible for that. You are, whether you want it or not, a leader. You got the director, you got the producers, and then there's you. So how are you managing the workspace? How are you making people feel comfortable seeing? heard are you making space for people and are do they feel confident enough to trust you in the work that you're doing you understand what i'm saying
1: definitely
0: so if i'm making the sacrifice which i did many times in this film what it does is it allows other people to have permission to also go a little bit extra to put in more work because they see me doing it without complaint i'm showing up I'm not asking for no excuses. I'm not asking for no handouts. I'm not asking anybody to make it easy for me. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's what comes with being number one in the call sheet. And that's something that I admire from actors who I've looked at in my, in my journey, you know, and hearing about them as number ones in the call sheet, when people speak so graciously about them. And they talk about how being on set with them just was beautiful, it was magnificent. And then they still showed up and did magnificent work on screen. The only way you can do that is to to understand that you're sharing space with a lot of people and you got to make them feel seen, too.
1: Wow. I love that. I mean, honestly, if people don't understand the connection to sports and entertainment, what you just said right there. Every athlete that hears this will know exactly what you're talking about, where summers were missed because you're in the gym training, where you might not go out with the friends because you got to go. Like every athlete will understand exactly what you're saying. And honestly, anybody that's been great at anything will understand because it don't matter what profession you're doing. You just describe what it's like. To basically sacrifice, to have to have responsibility to put in that work. That was really dope to hear because you're in a whole different space than I grew up in in sports, but it feels very synonymous. And then you talked about the people around you. So, what were some of those behind the scenes moments while you were filming? I mean, I think. Um, the director was George Tillman Jr., I believe, and mm-hmm. he did shows. I mean, he did iconic films such as Soul Food, Barbershop, you know, ones that we'll know. What was it like working with with George Tillman Jr. and, and just any of those behind the scenes moments? Forrest Whitaker is in the cast. I mean, including yourself, you guys have a very powerful group of actors.
0: Yeah. I mean, working with George Tillman Jr. was like, again, what I wanted him to know is that I'm not here to just be an actor. I'm not here to be told what to do. I'm here to help elevate your vision. I'm here to help you. I'm here to be a partner with you. And that's where, what I meant earlier when I was talking about doing as much work as I possibly could on my own, because I wasn't just about to walk into this and expect that he was going to create some story for me and that I was going to magically be able to fall into it. That's wrong. You know, I'm not here to be, uh, I'm here to be a collaborator, you know, of the vision. I'm here to find the nuances and the, the things that, you know, he couldn't see that he can't see because he has the overall vision and mine is to find the subvision, those, those, those nuances that make that overall vision, uh, more exciting. And that's where the collaboration came in and that's where the partnership came in. Um, so working with him you know, over, over the course of about a year or so, you know, we had a lot of phone conversations. We talked about the story we wanted to tell, we, we were breaking it down moment by moment. And, uh, we developed a relationship where we trusted each other quite a bit. And he knew that he didn't have to worry about me. And for me, I was like, Hey, I would do my thing. And I go over to him and I say, did we get it? <laughs> and he say, he said, yeah. I said, no, no. One more
1: love that you wanted to get it. Perfect. You wanted to get that. Well,
0: I, there is no, there's no way to make it perfect, but it's, did we get your vision Mm. and do we have the layers that I was explaining to you? Wow. Did we marry those ideas? Was it successful? And if not, if there was even a hint of a question mark, even if it was a good take, we got to do it again, right? So that's what it was. And and George Tillman Jr. is all about the work too. All the external stuff, he wasn't concerned about that. And he's thorough. He's one of the most thorough people I ever worked with. You know, um, and Forrest Whitaker, with him, you know, I I was like, look, I didn't want Mr. Whitaker to think that he had to hold the scenes by himself, you know, because I I have a lot of deference and respect for Mr. Whitaker. But I also wanted Mr. Whittaker to know that he can rely on me too, as a scene partner and that he doesn't have to pick up the weight for me. And I just wanted him to be able to do his thing and just know that I would be able to keep up my end of the bargain, you know. And that's that's what that working relationship was like. So when we started working together in our scenes, that's what it was. And again, having the experience that I've had in theater, working with theater giants, you know, the Forest Whittakers of theater you know, gave me the experience that I needed to stand across from such a great man and to perform and and to be quite, quite honest, you know, Mr. Whitaker and, you know, uh, George Tillman aside, literally every actor that was standing across from me was bringing so much to the table. They were all so thorough. They were all so thorough, you know, uh, Jasmine Matthews, right? when. when she plays Mary Joan, when she, when I saw her audition, you know, we were auditioning on zoom, man, the first thing that stood out to me was how intellectual she was about the work. Mm. Boom. That means the external stuff doesn't matter. That means she's locked in, right? Uh, uh, Sullivan Jones locked in, you know, everybody was so locked in, Sonia Song just locked in. So it made for a really impactful work environment, but also all of those people showing up, when they came to work, nobody could say that Chris Davis wasn't locked in and that they could trust that I'm going to be here to tell their story, too. They could trust that they can lean on me. If you need a little bit of help here, there, just look at me. Give me some looks. I, OK, because, you know, I'll be able to. That's what theater does for you. But uh, yeah, it was it was a nice work environment with everybody. Just powerful people, powerful actors.
1: I feel like you set the tone. Like I firmly believe this in sports. You talked about you're the first one on the cost sheet, and that sets the tone. So you probably set the tone for everybody letting them know that you're serious about this role and they were as well, not saying they weren't beforehand, but when you look to your left, I've been on the court and I look to my left or I look to my right and I see people just as locked in as me. I'm like, let's go. Like it just gives you this, it gives you this feeling. And so I'm I'm curious, like, what are those differences? You said you've worked with the Forrest Whitaker's Broadway what are some of those differences? Because I know Broadway, always I'm a huge fan of Broadway. We go Every time I go to New York, I try to hit a Broadway. I've been a producer on a Broadway. But I'm just curious, Like, what are your different preparations as opposed to Broadway to now you're in the big screen?
0: Um, I think that storytelling is storytelling, and they both require the same amount of uh, work and uh, care and honesty. Um, uh, <laughs> at least with within, you know, film, I, I think, I don't think I know completely, but I would like to believe that it takes the same amount of work and the actors that I admire and I have admired throughout the years. It seems as though they're that thorough, you know, you, you can't do that kind of work without really getting in there and deconstructing that thing to its, on its cellular level and then putting it all back together to form a new thing, you know, so in theater, the difference is you're rehearsing six days a week for four, six weeks. You know, then you have two weeks of previews where you're performing in front of people. But just, that's just the practice. Those are the warm ups before you open the show. Then you open the show and then you're on that show for four months, six months, a year, two years, and then you perform and it. it's just going over and over. But you get to live in that story and find new things in that story and continue to build on that story. So the way that you started telling that story, the way that you end telling that story, it can be a completely different story from beginning of the process to the end of the process. And it should, if you're staying locked in the work because it'll you'll continue to discover new things. Film, you don't have these rehearsal processes. So a lot of the work is on you, you know, and then you meet the director and hopefully you can collaborate and, where you can grow is essentially doing different takes, but the challenge is you're not telling a full arc every day. Right. You're telling, you're telling pieces. a piece of that story. Yeah. And you know, some, you know, when we filmed, we filmed out of sequence. So there be some, some days, so I would be the young George job uh, Corps, right? Uh-huh. All the way to Friday. Now I know on Monday, we're going to do the, the Joe Frazier fight. Okay. So I got to go from 17 to 19 all the way up to 32 or 28
1: in one week
0: in one week. (laughs) So now my, (laughs) this week I've gotten my weight down to 220 to 225 or 228. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I gotta go be heavyweight champ. Okay. So now today or tomorrow I start to put on weight so that on Monday, I'm two forty-two.
1: No, Chris.
0: You think I'm joking? No,
1: no. You think I'm joking? Are you, you are you, you changing weights in the week?
0: I'm changing weights by the week. Wow. But then there were some days where I would have to be young George, and then a couple hours later, I gotta be heavyweight champ.
1: Listen. I got to give you some love right here while you're sitting in front of me right now, because that like, I hope people realize what you're saying, because when you get locked in for a role, some people like when they go into the role of Joker, they'll say it takes a month for them to get out of that role because they're so locked in and fixated on that role. Mm-hmm. You're chopping it up. It's the same chopping character, but you're chopping it up a different mindset. It's almost a different character when you go from age 17 to 33.
0: Yeah, totally different person. You're a completely different person in your life. The circumstances are completely different. What you want is completely different. How you think of the world, how you view the world is completely different. I mean, for me, it was even down to, how do you make it authentic that he's younger? I'm not 17, or 18, or 19, and I'm also not a small guy. You know, I'm, on average, right, uh, I'm like, I'm 6'4", and my average weight is about 230, 235. Oh, you're a
1: basketball player, what, right? what? Chris? So,
0: I'm not a smaller guy, right, so, but I have to go younger. So I, what's happening with the eyes when you're younger, the eyes have more hope, Mm -hmm. you know, they're a little wider, you know, they have more curiosity. There's a bit of a sparkle there. You know, how do I shrink myself when when you're younger, you have a little less control over your limbs and and things like this. So let's add some of that lack Mm -hmm. of control. Okay. Then we get older. And now the eyes, they're not so big, right. Looking for some, something to get into. They're not that curious. Okay. Now they're a little settled, little jaded. Now you got a little control over your body, right? It's 28 to 32. Right? So then now we get that, we broaden the shoulders out, right? So if I got to go from 30, 30, 28 to 32, back down to 17 or 19, well then these are the things that I understand. Physically I have to um, manipulate in my own body and in my own psyche to make this happen. You know, So it was, it was an interesting journey. And, you know, like I said, the juxtaposition between theater and, um, and film, and sometimes you do jump timelines, which is what I had to do in Death of a Salesman. I mean, right after filming George Foreman. Wow. You know, you can experience that. And I think that what gave me the ability and the understanding of how to do that was the fact that I had been doing theater for so long and I understood how to do some character work. I understood where the story lives in my body. I understand where the moments live in my body. And I oftentimes say doing theater is the closest thing you can do as an artist Mm -hmm. that is to a team sport. It's like Mm -hmm. athletics. It really is. I can see that. Oh, no, it ain't no joke.
1: I can see it because even talking to you right now, it's like you could be on a team easily. Like the way you think, the way you prepare, as in I'm going to hold up my end and I'm going to be the captain. You're the one on the call sheet. And you also made me think of something. I'm curious if you'd ever want to direct or anything because hearing you talk, it's like – you absorb and you're so thoughtful. And I remember talking to Michael B. Jordan and he was talking about his relationship with Ryan Kugler and seeing how they interacted. And then he went in on Creed three. Now he's not only acting, but he's the director because he saw, he saw that as the next step in maturation. And so it's like with you, are, are those some of the type of thoughts that you have that you're, you're like, I love it in this acting space or would you want to be a producer, director? Because you seem like a purist in a sense of like you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. I mean it in the best way possible. Yeah. Like that, you absorb whatever it is that you're in, whatever character you're in you absorb all of it. So is that like what you know? What are your thought process when it comes to that?
0: Sure. I mean, the older you get, the more of a responsibility you have to make space for others to act. You know, and you kind of step back and you, you help guide as a director or a producer. And sure, that's the logical next step, you know. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that at some point in my career that will happen. That will actually will. be a certainty. I'm going to just tell you, so. it will. <laughs> yeah. Well, but for me, it's this journey has been really you know, you said purist and I think so because I'm so attracted to stories and storytelling, you know, because I do believe that I do believe in the power of storytelling. And when you really think about it, and this is the responsibility we have in this industry, how we live our lives, how we address situations, how we heal, what we wear, what we think about, it all comes from what we do in the entertainment industry. So, if that's the case, then I, I guess that I can change someone's life. I can change someone's mind. I can be impactful. I had this thought, and I was telling my mother this the other day, because I like to bring a lot of school groups in to what I'm doing. So, I bring them to Broadway so they can see me. I'm from Camden, New Jersey. So, I bring a lot of kids up to, to the shows to see me when I'm on stage. And, um, you know, I like to go back and be accessible. You know, it's one thing to say you're from there, but it's another thing when a kid or even an adult can see you and you're real and you're tangible. You know, years ago I was thinking to myself, cause you know, you read these books and you read about how people have impacted change through legislation or through marching and suffering in that way. And You know, you go to a couple marches, you you raise, you raise your voice, you know, you uh, start the pot a little bit, but then, You wonder, how can I really make a change, right? And for me, I feel like acting is that for me on a spiritual level. I don't know what or who I'm going to impact. I may never know them. I may never know why this is what I'm doing. But it feels like a spiritual thing for me. And acting lots of times feels like a spiritual experience for me. So yeah, uh, I just want to continue to tell stories, understand how I can impact people, understand why I'm telling this story. Lots of times I know what the story is going to say in the first like 15 pages, because I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not because I know the story, but because I think I understand story. And, and that's a part of this journey for me. And, and if I am a purist, so be it. But I think that overall I want to just at each stage in my life, master what it is that I'm experiencing and articulate that through the lens of my art. And hopefully I can change someone's life.
1: No, that is, that's beautiful. Honestly, like to be a purist and to feel it on a spiritual level, I think a a lot of people would love to connect to their work on a spiritual level. I think that's where you're optimizing yourself, where your job is also your passion, which is also what you Mm. think. Like that's where it seems like you're aligning right now. And so what type of role, like we know that you've now played a famous sports star. And so Mm -hmm. what type of role are you gravitating to or that you want to have filled before it's all said and done? Like, what is, is there a dream role for you? I mean, Mm-mm. you've done so much already. So that's why I was like, yeah. So what type of roles do you want to do now to stretch yourself or that you think would challenge you? Cause is there like, you know, like what's next for Chris? I mean, you've done Broadway. I, you...
0: that's, the, that's the challenge. Right. And I think um, the reality is, you know, You can't hold every job up to the greatest job you've ever done up until that point in your life. There will never be another experience like this. I'm certain of it because at this point in time in my life, this was it, right? And you could say, this is the dream, the dream role, the dream job. I could have never imagined this job. If you would have asked me five years ago, what's your dream role? Playing George Foreman would have never come out of my mind, <laughs> you know, playing George Foreman in a major studio film would have I could not have imagined that. Right? So the dream roles are revealed to you, right? They are revealed to you. They are experiential. And then you're like, that was it. That was the one. I hold no expectations around any type of work. I think that's limiting because you can expand and explode in any type of storytelling scenario, in ways that will surprise you. And lots of times, all of the elements may come together to make that possible. Like the team you're working with. You could be working, like on this job, so many fantastic actors. I elevate them, they elevated me. Do you know what I mean? They lifted me up, they held me up, and it was fantastic to stand across with them and watch them work. I was in awe of everybody. You know so this was the dream role and then five years from now there may be something else that'll be on the radar because i'll tell you what with this job when i first got the audition i i wasn't even that excited about it because i at this point at that point hadn't had any leading roles in film or tv but I understood that this job is huge, man. So like, there's gonna be a lot of responsibility to it. And this ain't the job that you waste on a maybe. This is the job that you hire a guy who's a sure thing. (laughs) We know he's gonna do it and get it done. You know what I mean? So when I got the audition, I I just, I was like, yeah, sure. They've already got their guy. They just want me to audition because they have to, you know, but I did it. And uh, to my surprise, I got a call back. crazy. So it was always kind of a surprise to me. And over time it, continued to grow and grow and grow into this magnanimous thing. And I think that even up until the point where um, we started to get closer to the premiere and the release date, I still, I still didn't understand uh, just how, a massive it was massive be.
1: it's in the box yeah. office it's in theaters like yes this is a big deal april 28th.
0: <laughs> yeah that was just but that's but that's me i'm so like i'm so locked into just did did we tell the story right and and that's what matters to me and will it be impactful you know um and that's all that really matters all the other stuff is cool no it's great it's great right that you get some visibility is great that you know, people want to work with you more and it's great that more stories that'll be interesting and insightful will come your way. Uh, but you know, I think what the legacy, the legacy that I want to have is did I tell impactful stories Was I was I honest and authentic and truthful in the stories that I told, you know, um, and can people go back and look at my Canon and, and be inspired throughout time? You know, I don't have to be the most important actor ever. It's gotta change a couple lives, man. Wow. It's gotta inspire just a couple people. You know, I don't have to be I don't have to be the number one guy. If if I'm if I'm rolling and I'm cooking and I'm telling stories and it's impactful and you know, I'm growing as an actor, that's the legacy, and I'm cool with that.
1: Wow. I feel like we're kindred spirits because a lot of people talk about just how I always try to look on the silver lining of things and look on the a certain positive level. So I feel like you have a very light and optimistic view. So I'm curious in the industry that you're in, a lot of people will probably want to no. how do you handle, like, you know how you said, yeah, they are like, I saw the audition, but they probably already have their guy. How do you remain so locked in, optimistic, hopeful in an industry where you're going to have probably quadruple the amount of no's that you do as yeses? It's not the tor- normal job.
0: Okay. There's a couple things. First one is manage your expectations. No one owes you a job because you auditioned or that you're good at acting. There are so many different variables that go into you not getting the job. And most of the time it has nothing to do with whether or not you can chop it up. It can be something as arbitrary as the other guy shaved that day. You did not. And they, they just see the vision in his shaved face. No, this is real. It's, this happens to people. <laughs>
1: That's crazy.
0: No, that happened to me before. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, <laughs> I uh showed up for an audition and I had just a little bit of stubble. Probably about like that much right there. Uh, the guy came in, he was clean shaven. And he no. got the job. I, oh no, it's There's really no br- way. Is no, that I'm little, trying to tell you. It's, like, wow. uh, it's sometimes it is quite literally that arbitrary. You know? Uh she wore braids today, she had her natural hair out. The character has to have braids
1: right that's it
0: that's it it's arbitrary stuff you'll never figure it out so don't try to think for the director don't try to think for the producer don't try to think for the casting director you show up you do the work that's it and let it go it's not your job it's not your job until you get the job all right that's it you're going in there you're talking to them you're saying hey This is what I have. This is what I could do. You want to work together? No? Okay, cool. See you later. Maybe down the road. So manage your expectations. Nobody owes you that job. And just because you don't get a job, it don't mean you can't act. It really doesn't mean you can't act. And number two, be mindful of where you fall short. Be mindful of where you fall short. Do not get in your head about where you went to school, what kind of plays you did the kind of actor you think you are. See where you're lacking and be willing to have the humility to fix it and grow. Bottom line, as a theater actor, I'll tell you, transitioning from theater to film is one of the most difficult things to do. You would think it would be seamless, but it's not. It's not at all. Um, The ways in which we express things on stage reads like overacting on camera. I can see that. Like to a tremendous degree, right? So if I'm a theater actor and I'm auditioning and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning for TV and film and I'm never getting a job, but I'm always on Broadway and I'm always killing my auditions. And I'm like, man, something's wrong with the industry, man. They don't like good (laughs) actors, man. They don't like people who are really (laughs) talented actors. But every time I see myself doing an audition, I can't see that I'm doing too much because I'm in my own head about myself. See what you're lacking. See what you need to grow. Just because we can do things on stage. TV and film is a whole different thing. It's like, and I tell people, acting is like sports. You go to somebody, you say, I'm an athlete. They say, what sport do you play? Can you play basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, lacrosse, tennis, table tennis? What sport do you play?
1: basketball
0: (laughs) exactly so you say i play basketball right but then if if somebody put some ice skates on you and told you to go play hockey does that mean you'll be an expert at hockey not at all you have to learn the fundamentals of what it means to be a hockey player you got to get out there you got to keep doing it you got to get your butt bust on the hockey on on the hockey uh on the ice people got to knock you down rough you up a little bit for you to understand what's going on that's the same thing with each aspect of acting. Sure. Yeah, you, you do theater, but guess what? You got when you come to TV and film, don't be afraid to get busted up a little bit. Take them L's. You fell on the ice, get up, keep coming back, Let's see where you fall short and keep practicing. You know what I'm saying? That's what I would say. Because a lot of a lot of times we get caught up in our own ego uh, about what we think we deserve. I've been there. I've been there many times. And it wasn't until I I had the, I don't know if it was a God-given spark that he threw in my head to see where I was falling short or to see where I was doing too much. And I I had the humility to say, okay, I need to learn what to do. I need to learn how to be better, you know, at being on TV, uh, at being on screen, at, at being recorded, you know, and it took some time and it took a little while. And each job I did, I learned a little bit more, but I was willing to say, hey, man, I'm just going to sit back and uh, take these lessons and take these lickings, man. And gracefully, gratefully, when the opportunity came to do Big George Foreman, you know, I had I had still in that time had the willingness to learn. I mean, even watching Mr. Whitaker the first time we met, I was learning how to act on screen. It doesn't stop. Crazy. It don't stop. So always be open to that. You know, see where you're falling short and be willing to grow from that.
1: I think a lot of people, it doesn't matter what profession you're in. There's massive layoffs in the tech world. There's massive layoffs everywhere. People are trying to figure out how do you handle those no's? I mean, you're used to it because you get so many. So thank you for that. And I'm curious, you know,
0: it's never a no. It's never a no. No one told you no. No one told you no. That's the thing. No one's saying no. They just made a different choice. It's not about you. It's about the story they want to tell. Don't make it about you. You're perfectly fine. You're doing great. You're doing great. You can act. Keep on working on yourself. Keep on working on your skills. But it's never a no. If you think about it as people telling you no, that's the ego. It's not about you. They made a decision. They made a decision, right? It's like they want a green paint on the wall and you only have purple. But guess what? Somebody
1: wants a purple house. <laughs> Somebody wants that purple house, though. Somebody wants a purple house. <laughs> You know? I love that. I, listen, Chris, I love that. Real quick before I let you go, what do you want people to take from the big George Foreman movie? Like, what? Like, I mean, you spent a lot of time and energy on that. We already knew of some of his story. He went from Olympic gold medalist to world heavyweight champion. We understand his remarkable life. You guys brought that story to life. What do you want the fans that are going to go see it August 28th to take from it?
0: Well, what I'll say is this. Mr. Foreman's story is incredibly large. And the word miraculous is in the title because it's true. And it's hard to tell the entirety of his story. I mean, what we did barely even scratched the surface of the surface of what his life was actually like. But this is the story that we're going, that we chose to tell, you know? Um, And with those sacrifices he made, you know, I was willing to make a lot of sacrifices too, right? Like we really were throwing real punches in the ring. So everybody really got hit. What? Yeah. I gained all that weight. That was not a fat suit. Um, That was my bald head. That was my afro. Yeah. I gained 50 pounds in five weeks on a 7,000 calorie diet.
1: What, Chris?
0: Yeah. So the sacrifices we made, you know, first and foremost, from, from the acting, the directing, all the way down to production and people who worked on it. I'm praying that it resonates to the audience, right? But it would be difficult for me to pinpoint specifically what the audience should take from it because there are so many different things that happen in Mr. Foreman's life that will resonate with you. We're covering the span of three to four decades. A lot happens in life. And depending on where you are in your life, that'll be what you receive. So I'm hoping that audiences come with an open mind and an open heart and whatever they they receive, whatever resonates with them, that they take it with them and hopefully it can inspire and, and, and incite some change in their life. But I will say, overall, this film is about second chances. You know, redemption, everybody's given a second chance and sometimes multiple. And when you get it, treat it preciously, take it seriously and leverage that in your life, you know? And that's what this film is really about, you know, second chances. Wow. So yeah, Big George Foreman, April 28th, theaters only.
1: April 28th. The champion regains his championship at age 45. You talked about second chances becoming the oldest heavyweight boxing champion in the world. Chris Davis, thank you so much for joining us here. Anytime. I feel like I'm going to be seeing you for a long time. Like I said, you can just, you're oozing talent. I can even see it here. The passion, the talent, the dedication. I'll be watching and following your whole career. And we're a friend, you're a friend of the show. So whenever you want to come back, just let us know. But thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, so I'm sure you guys can see exactly what I mean by the purest form. My man is an actor, actor. He has gifts that he is going to give the world. I'm sure we're going to see him on so many things. Like he said, he has already conquered Broadway. Now he's going to TV and films. And even for him to talk about, I know what it means to be the first one on the call sheet. It's like, talk, yo, talk, please. I love it, man. You can see the athlete afterwards. You guys didn't hear this, but this is a football player I was talking to. And I'm not surprised because you can just tell team-oriented, team-spirited players, and he's that. But he just took it to a different form. It's kind of like that more than. And that's exactly what we love over here at Montgomery & Co., where it's a generational thing.
2: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
3: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos.